For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe, Knicks. This is our December 23rd podcast. The last time you will hear us. Yep, happy Festivus to everyone out there. Whatever other real or fake holidays you celebrate. Um, This will probably be our last pod until next week. So get it while it's hot. Um, Matthew Miranda joined as always by Stacey Patton, who looks extremely relaxed out in California. With all the East Coast bullshit left behind him. How you doing, Stacey? Doing pretty good. Yeah, it, it actually rained today. It was only 60 degrees. So, <laughs> But uh, but uh, it's been nice getting some sun. Uh, I, I love it out here. It's cloudy all day here, and the snow plows were out this morning. It was a beautiful 30 degrees. So I certainly don't envy you in any way. Um, so I want to talk about... A little bit about the game tonight against Washington. Uh, the Knicks fell 124 to 117, despite Kemba Walker going off for 44 points. Uh, I want to talk about a few issues from the game and then one more, maybe slightly bigger picture question. Um, first thing I wanted to ask you about, Stacey, Kemba, obviously, best game is a Nick, best game maybe in a couple of years, um, and has looked scoring wise. You know, very nice the last three games that he's played. Um, I think he's had like 29, 21, and now 44, something like that. Do you think Kemba Walker is playing his way into more minutes in a starting spot, or do you think Kemba Walker is playing his way into a trade? Oh, that's a, it's right off the bat. Very, uh... I'm not messing around, man. I got gifts to wrap. I'm getting right to it. <laughs> um. He is playing a lot better. Uh, until he gets traded, he has played his way back in the rotation. Um, after the first game against Boston, um, I think it was Boston, but he's had three or four games now where it's, he's putting up these kind of numbers. I mean, 44 or not, but like he's been 20-plus efficient, shooting the ball well. Um, he is he is back in the rotation. Um, and I would say that uh, even if Derek Rose didn't get hurt, but that kind of cements it. Mm-hmm. Um that also, I think, affects how the Knicks may want to approach this trade deadline because eight weeks is a long time for arguably the Knicks' best player. Um, certainly at least their second best um, and maybe their most uniquely talented player in terms of what he brings. Um, in terms of Kemba, yeah, I mean, you saw what he could do tonight. There were threes where he was off balance uh, with someone in his face and he could shoot it and it goes in. And not even Emmanuel quickly is hitting those types of shots. Julius Randle had stretches like that a little bit last year, but um, when Kemba's playing the way he did tonight, the only player that comes to mind, uh, and I realize this is lofty praise, and um, you know if we have Warriors fans who watch this podcast or might not like it, but there were times tonight <laughs> when he did remind me of Steph Curry, just the kind of shots he was hitting uh, and the audacity of them and just the, no- the knowledge that <laughs> this is a crazy shot and you know it's going in. Mm-hmm. Um that said, I don't know if 
I don't know if the Knicks will trade him unless he requests a trade because, frankly, I don't. I, I still don't think the market is going to be that high for him. Like, I think contenders would be interested. Will they trade a first? Um, you know, I mean, what are like? Do the Lakers look at a guy like Kemba Walker and say, "We'll give you"? I mean, I don't know if they have any picks. They could give us like Taylor Horton Tucker or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that they do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, like the Warriors, if they trade a guy like Jordan Poole or something. Um, so I just I don't know that the market is going to be high enough to make that worthwhile. And I also don't know that Kemba's itching to go to a contender. I think he wants to play. I think playing for a hometown team will give him some. I think he enjoys being home. So if I if you had to if you if I put if you ask me to make a, a prediction on it, I think he finishes out the year. They might use him as salary over the summer. Um, hopefully, they communicate to them that that would be a business decision. But I don't see there being enough, like unless they get a first for him or like a, an interesting young player, and not a guy like. <clears throat> I mean, I don't. I mean, like maybe like I, I don't even know. Like maybe a guy like Cam Reddish, right? Um, who the mm-hmm. Hawks want a first round pick for? If they can't get a first round pick, and they feel like they would like, you know a backup to, I mean, Trey and Kemba Walker would be a pretty solid one-two punch, especially if they pick their record up and threaten for the playoffs. Something like that. But even Cam Reddish is going to get paid. Uh, he's the same year as, as RJ Barrett. So um, outside of that, I think it's more likely Kemba finishes the year. And I do think from here on out, he will be part of the rotation. Um, but, but next year, I, I would be surprised if Kemba is back next year just because of the Knicks guard rotation. The reason to trade Kemba would be making minutes for Deuce McBride um, quickly to get more run at the point. Um, and then they will probably bring back Rokas Jokubaitis, um, mm-hmm. who has been terrific in Europe. Um, he really looks like he brings another dimension in terms of his ability to get to the rim as well as pass the ball and shoot then the Knicks really, ha- I mean, they have some terrific young guards, but he he's probably the most polished by far. Mm. And it's not polished, you know, a lot of times when you call someone polished, it's backhanded compliment because they're not that athletic, but he looks he looks pretty athletic. A lot of mm. those Goran Dragic com- uh, comparisons he was getting before the draft now seem pretty apt. Um, so, but I, I don't think Kemba's going back to the bench again against he gets, unless he has another extended cold stretch. And I think now that the onus is on Tibbs to realize that you have to play him, um, but you also have to surround him with good defenders because that's the one thing he that hasn't changed. Like he's still going to get cooked. Um, mm-hmm. But if you don't pair him with someone like Evan Fournier, if you pair him with good help defenders, you can manage out there with him. So speaking of Tibbs, um, do you think this might sound a little weird? Do you think Thibodeau and and I think with Rose injured, this is less of an issue. But do you think Thibodeau is happy Kemba is playing this way because? he puts him back in the rotation and he's clearly earned it. Or do you think the concerns that like, however well Kemba Walker shoots, the concerns that Thibodeau has don't change. Kemba's not six, four. He's not Alfred Payton's height. He's not switchable um, on defense the way that Thibodeau ideally wants to play. And that's not going to change whatever he shoots, whatever he scores. Part of me wonders if, if Tom Thibodeau, in light of all the injuries and particularly Rose's surgery and, and being out for a couple of months, I don't think it matters anymore, but I, 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 I wonder if Thibodeau like is completely happy about this or if part of him is like, 
because it, it really wasn't for for whatever the reasons are, and I don't think Thibodeau has been really very um, clear specifically about the problems with Kemba, but last year Tom Thibodeau was very vocal through all of Alfred Payton's struggles to the point of sometimes voicing what sounded like bullshit, um, that Payton was such a factor on defense, and he loved his size, and he loved how he let the Knicks play defense. And, and that's what Thibodeau cares about the most. That's his orientation. And Kemba doesn't provide that. Do you do you think on any level this puts Thibodeau in a in a weird situation, or do you think the guy just he just cares about winning, and however it, it takes shape, that's what he goes with? Because he has been flexible and unorthodox by Tibbs standards in some ways this year and last year in terms of how much he's played and invested in certain rookies and in the willingness to make lineup changes. Yeah, um, I, I actually think that that is a little overblown in terms of Tibbs needing a big defensive guard. Um, I like I think he likes size. I think most people <laughs> like size. Um, but this is a guy who's played, who's, a, who's um, rode Nate Robinson pretty mm-hmm. hard um, mm-hmm. through stretch of his career. Uh, DJ Augustin is a guy who's, who was given a much larger role under Tibbs. Um, Rose was far from any kind of um, defensive, and still is, right? He's not a, he has never been a great defensive player. I mean, he's big, but he, so I, I don't think that's why Alfred Payton played. I don't know why Alfred Payton played. Um, <laughs> if I had to guess, though, I would actually guess it was more because of the offense, because I think Tibbs likes guys who can get downhill. Um, and I think he likes guys who can challenge. I think he likes to attack the paint on offense. So I actually think it was more offense related. And he does seem to like off ball shooters, but he does seem to like guys who can shoot. But I think he prefers someone on the ball who can um, who can get downhill and get to the rim. I think that's why he quickly has, hasn't really gotten much of a shot on ball in the starting lineup. Um, so so that's why. Uh, I, so do I think that he's he's like no I, I think he I don't think there was anything ever pers- personal with Kemba and this is something where a lot of people are like Tibbs owes Kemba an apology or this was a bad coach yeah, yeah. by Tibbs and that's something I um, I'm not an apologist for Tibbs and I'm not anti Kemba but he was terrible at the beginning of the year like that's not mince words he had some good shooting performances but he wasn't playing with much force on offense he wasn't getting like he wasn't playing with any pace and he wasn't getting downhill. He has changed the way he's playing the last few games. Um, I think part of that is he tends to be more aggressive when he isn't playing with Julius Randle. There are a couple of possessions. I don't know if this is a tips call or what, but there were a couple of possessions when, I mean, again, Kemba was NBA jam all game and Randle came back in. So when Kemba was playing with Obi, they, you know, they were trapping Kemba. Kemba was passing it off to Obi and Obi. That's what he excels at. Like on a four on three, he's a very Mm -hmm. good passer. Mm-hmm. For a guy 6'9", who like has kind of a head down style, he's amazingly good at avoiding charges. Like I think that's really such an underrated. Like that's like there's so many times where Obi's dribbling into traffic, and I'm like, it's gonna be a charge. And then yep. if it's a finish, he goes around them or over them, or he just he has this very graceful passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Randall came in, and this is not just to harp on Randall, but what Randall likes to do off of those screens is either slip them. Whether whether he slips them or sets the screen, he wants to post up, and Kemba then defers to that, and that takes away what Kemba's really good at, which is getting downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are ways to maximize and get that out of Kemba, but I think Kemba played a ton of minutes with with Randall, um, and he deferred a lot earlier in the season, 
he wasn't really doing much on offense. He was playing much slower, I think, to try to set up the post-up game. And mm-hmm. then on defense, he's going to look like a train wreck, and that's not helped by the fact that he plays a lot of minutes with Evan Fournier. Yeah. Um, but overall, do I think Tibbs is upset? No, I think Tibbs would take this version of Kemba, and he, he played him 42 minutes today. He didn't have to. Well, he did have to. They didn't have a point guard. But mm-hmm. um, I think he's. I think this is what he wants to see. And I also don't think he's married to the idea of a big physical point guard who can defend at the point of attack because we've seen throughout his career he's lived with some not very good defenders at the point guard position. If he was married to that, I think Frank Nilakina would have gotten a chance last year over Alfred mm-hmm. um, because Alfred wasn't that great on defense. He would die on screens a lot. Like for, play- for a coach who pays that much attention to detail that Tibbs does, I have a hard time believing he was super impressed with Alfred's defense. I think it actually had more to do with the fact that he wants his guards to get downhill and play with force on offense and Kemba would did that today and I think that's that's really all he wants to ask now is the front office like how they would react to a game like this is probably a different question but yeah mm. do you think that Kemba would get more of those downhill opportunities and opportunities to play in a style that maximizes his strengths by playing with the bench unit more rather than playing with Randall and Fournier yeah I think everyone would um I think that's probably why quickly is the best fit with Randall because he doesn't really need, um, but quickly has a tendency to defer too much with Randall, right? Mm-hmm. But the guys who like to play, like there's a reason why Rose is fantastic with a bench unit, right? He's always looking for OB. Um, IQ loves to run. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have any great defenders, but they're always scrambling. They're always looking to push and they're a very efficient offense. So sometimes the best defense is a good offense because when, opponents always have to take it out of the net instead of being able to run on, on rebounds and turnovers Mm -hmm. that helps your defense. So, um, yeah, I think he would benefit from that. Um, would I play him off? I I mean, ideally like going forward with Rose out for the immediate future, I probably would start either deuce or IQ. Um, but I, I think another part of that is, um, I don't think you want to play Fournier and Kemba together. I think that's a bigger thing because I think on defense that's really untenable, and we saw that tonight. And um, and then that becomes which one of them do you want to play next to Randall? Um, I'm inclined to say Kemba and then move Fournier to the bench, but I think one of them, like I don't think you can play those two together. I think that's the more important thing than who starts or who plays with Randall. I believe this was the first game that we've seen Kemba and Burke starting together. Did you have any... reactions thoughts about that or too early to tell i mean um i think um i think it's too early to tell they had a terrible defensive performance that's what you'd wanted to help Mm -hmm. um i've been very impressed with alec burks's defense this season but one area where i would emphatically say i think he's downright bad and there's only so much a guard can do that negatively impacts you on this end but he is so bad at this that it has an impact is defensive rebounding. Um, there were multiple hmm. bad missed box outs in the fourth quarter. Kuzma had a couple of offensive rebounds. Um, Burks does a good job of rotating. And it's puzzling because he's good at rotating. He's pretty good at communicating and switching. And he's attentive. But when the ball goes up, he just doesn't find a guy. Like He doesn't box out. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't have a nose for the ball the way... Um, you know, some other guards do. A guy like Quickly does, for example. Quickly's a pretty good rebounder despite being much smaller than Burks. Um, so I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. I would start Burks and RJ together 
Um, I know that. And then I would probably, if that's the case, I'm comfortable starting Kemba there. But if it's Kemba and Fournier together, you have two weak defenders in the backcourt. Randall has not done enough as a help defender this year. And quite frankly, if he's playing 35 minutes and he's has such a large role in offense in today's NBA, it's tough to ask him to be that kind of defender. Mm-hmm. And then with Mitch, Mitch, it's always a mixed bag. We don't have the bigs that we had last year. So I don't think you can play two. So to the extent Ken Kemba and Burks, does that work together? Well, uh, I think Burks is a game that can fit next to a lot of guys, as long as you don't ask him to be a point guard. So I think it's yeah. good that Burks has been playing point guard today. I think you saw how much better the offense looks. And that's not a knock on Burks, but when you're 6'6 and you're a scorer, you know, played point guard your career, it, you know, he it's not just like he's not Jason Kidd or something. It's that he doesn't have the kind of handle you need to break presses. Like it takes him seven, eight seconds just to get the yes, ball up. Yes. Um, and I, I mean, I have a feeling like if you asked Alec Burks that, he might tell you the same thing, right? That's not really what is best. Um, so it helps in, from that scenario, but I would still probably move Evan Fournier to the bench and start. And then I think they, that that is probably something they should do when RJ comes back and leave Burks in there. Um, and then if you're going to leave Fournier in there, then I would start Deuce or IQ. So, and I don't think he wants to do that yet for whatever reason. Um, fair or not, in that case, I would start Kemba next to those two guys. Last Saturday, the Knicks lost to Boston and then... Tonight was their second loss in the last three games. In those two losses combined, the bench has been outscored 85 to 17. Now, I understand, despite what a lot of Twitter numerologists seem to think a few days ago, that the Knicks have a ton of guys out and it's depleted their bench. But for example, when the Knicks played the Celtics, the Knicks had seven players out, six with COVID and then Rose. The Celtics had seven players out, five with COVID and then uh, Romeo Langford and somebody else also had an injury. So both teams were depleted, and the Celtic bench outscored the Knicks 47-3. to The Knicks bench has been a strength last season and certainly this season. Do you see this as just they're ravaged by injury, you know, everything is kind of out of order right now, and let them get resettled and they'll be fine? Or... Have you noticed every, anything either in individuals' play or combinations or trends uh, the last few games that are concerning you as far as that goes? No, I, I mean, I think you have to look at who is out too, right? Um, the Knicks were just without all of... They were without Barrett, Rose, against the Celtics, right? They were without Barrett, Rose, uh, IQ, um, as well as McBride and Grimes, right? So mm-hmm. that is your... Kevin Knox, your don't forget Kevin Knox. Kevin, shout out who Kevin has Knox. been playing well a little bit recently. Or uh, who has been hitting a few baskets, I should say, recently. I, I think I've mentioned he's basically <laughs> Steve Novak. At this you point. have. Which is a very <laughs> um, nice thing to say, I think, about Kevin Knox. Yeah, the, 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 or Sean Williams, I think, is actually probably yeah, yeah, yeah. a little more athletic than, than Steve Novak, even though he doesn't really play that big. But, um, but with the guys who are out, you're talking about the Knicks their best point guard, Emmanuel Quickly, who has been playing heavy minutes recently and is a key reserve. Again, mm-hmm. so you have two ball handlers. Now you have RJ, who's a wing, probably their only true wing right now. Mm-hmm. But the other guys are more are closer to being twos. And again, another key ball handler. Um, then you have Grimes, that's more wing depth, right? So it was very, it was also very concentrated in terms of the guys they were missing. Yeah. Um, they had three bigs, but like that doesn't help you. Like if you look at the minutes that we had to play. Burks 41, Fournier 43, 
Randall 41, which even for him, that's that's a little more than he usually does. Kemba had to play 37. Whereas if you look at the Celtics, they had they had depth at guard, right? They were able to play Aaron. They had Aaron Nismith. They had Marcus Smart. They had Peyton Pritchard, who is basically their their version of quickly, right? Yeah. Uh, and they just it was it was really question of now they were depleted at center. They had to play Enos Cantor, I think, or sorry, Enos Freedom, <laughs> <laughs> more minutes than they would like. Right. Um, but um, but it was it came down to guard and wing depth versus center depth. The Knicks had better center depth, but. Uh, they lacked ball handlers. They're, the ball handlers they do have are aging. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the Celtics and who they played, there was no one on there who's like a 15th. Like, all of these guys have played minutes in big games. The Knicks had to give 10 minutes to Wayne Selden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is not that 10 minutes aren't changing the game. And I, this is not to, to knock Selden, but he is literally the 15th man on the roster. You know, yeah. he, he does this is not a, this is like if they had to play the, the Pinson. So, um, the Knicks bench is great, um, but they were missing the guys who have made it great. All of them, literally all of the guys who have made the Knicks bench great. When you look at Rose, Toppin, and Quickly, um, that's huge. Like, you can't really, there's not really, and it's not like, and then they were missing a guy from the starting lineup in RJ. So mm-hmm. let's switch, switch gears here a little bit and let me try to zoom out and see what you think about another issue affecting the team um, or affecting me about the team. So a couple of days ago at posting and toasting, I wrote um, a collaborative piece with Lee Escobedo about whether or not the Knicks should trade for Ben Simmons, which in reality became a conversation about whether or not the Knicks should trade Julius Randle in a deal for Ben Simmons. And many opinions, you know, flowed out of that. Um, but what struck me was that the tone of the conversation, and I think this is where we often are now when we talk about roster construction and 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 X year plans, is particularly for the Knicks, how do we get to be a contender? Who is that star that we're going to trade for, or we're going to sign, or we're going to draft, or or however they come about? Who? How do the Knicks get from wherever they are to contender? And I'm curious about this because. This century, the Knicks have basically had two two years where they really three years. I'm sorry, three years where they made a noticeable kind of a leap. In 2004, they had missed the playoffs the prior two seasons. It was a depressing. These are the Shannon Anderson, Howard Isley, Clarence Weatherspoon, Michael Doliak Knicks. Like this is a long time ago, and not like these were not amazing teams. They played hard, you know, they were doing what they could, they were veterans, but like they weren't designed to do anything. In 04, Isaiah Thomas comes in, he trades for Stefan Marbury. Uh, the Knicks win 39 games, which sadly was a slight improvement, but they made the playoffs. Um, they had looked really good that year for a while with Marbury pairing with Allen Houston and Keith Van Horn. Then that season they traded Van Horn um, for Tim Thomas. The next year, nothing like they didn't build on it they ended up missing the playoffs the next six seasons in a row mike d'antoni comes in mari stoudemire comes in carmelo anthony comes in and now the knicks start to turn it around um in 2013 they go 54 and 28 you know this brilliant out of nowhere season they trade the aforementioned novak in the bargnani trade they make a few other moves Nothing comes from it. They missed the playoffs the next seven years in a row. Nothing is sustained. Last season, the Knicks go 41 and 31. 
Julius Randle's brilliant. Everybody has a career year. When people talk now about Randall and this, I guess, realization a lot of us are, are, whether it's fair or not, that a lot of people are feeling this year is like, okay, last year was an outlier. Not to say Randall can't improve on where he is now, but I think most Nick fans, gun to your head, would not bet on Randall being all NBA second team anytime soon. Um, fair or not, I think that's what a lot of people would say, and the evidence would lead you, to, I think, to that conclusion. So Randall does not seem, as you've said, I think also, like you're not building a contender around Julius Randall as your best player. You're probably not building around Julius Randall as your second best player. Maybe. I guess it depends who the other one is. But my question is this. The idea that you have to trade Randall because he's not the foundation of a title team kind of throws me because I find that it's probably easier to get the guy when you already have a, a better team in place. And other than the, the, the Celtics in 2007, and I guess the Heat when they added LeBron and Bosch, but those are both instances of teams who added two Hall of Famers in the same year, two two-way Hall of Famers. I don't see any example of a team that made one move. Even the Lakers, when they added LeBron, they still needed Anthony Davis. They needed the two. I still don't I still don't see many examples of a team going from not a contender to an instant contender. There's usually steps. If Julius Randle under contract for four more years is the kind of player who is the foundation for sustained competence, not greatness, not even goodness necessarily, but just sustained competence. Should that matter more to the Knicks? And to their, I mean, you can't speak for people's opinions, but I just mean, do you think we're overlooking the value of like just walk for a while before you try to break into a run? Because every time you do this, every time this franchise, this century starts to pick up any speed, they fall on their face for years. And I'm worried that like the turning on Randall and, and is a push in that same direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to unpack when it comes to Julius Randle. Um, so there, there is the first segment is just the Stephen A. Smith type fans who are like, you are a star player. You have to play like a star, right? <laughs> and um, I saw, I, I remember who it was. I saw a tweet from, I believe it was Captain Pearl NYK on Twitter. Um, shout out Captain Pearl. And he said that, you know, um, you know imagine if Julius was judged on the scale that David Lee or younger Kristaps were judged, right? Um, mm. And, you know, he was saying that, like, we have all of these articles that illustrate this is why Julius isn't a franchise player. But if we know that, if we accept that, you wouldn't be as disappointed. I think that's pretty fair. And um, I think the word that I'm trying to bake into myself, to your point, um, is recalibrate. And to say they overachieved, it's everything that it sucks to admit it because this is the kind of thing that people were telling us over the offseason yep. and why they were picking teams like the Bulls over mm -hmm. us and all of that. But the reality was it was a weird season last year. And um, the, Knicks are, the Knicks are no longer a laughingstock and enjoy that. But this is not what's going to, you know, what's going to engender the greatness. In terms of, do we need to? I also don't think that needs means we need to trade Randall, right, for spare parts. 
the question becomes really what are we building towards um and is being good you know julius randall centric team the best way to accomplish that uh and there's multiple things here if you talk about a guy like ben simmons or a guy like De'Aaron fox right he's another guy that's been mentioned right. a lot and a lot of people are saying well is De'Aaron fox even better than julius randall right now that is a fair point the counter to that is um you know the stylistic tendency where so you if you get julius randall you're more likely to get the other guy we're not sure how well he does fit with another guy who needs the ball in his hands I'm not saying Kemba Walker is worthy of that treatment, but I did just explain how when Kemba plays with Julius, he tends to be more passive. They tend to go to more post-ups. If you do sign the guy, A, A is if, if other guys around the league see that, other dynamic guards, the kind of person you'd want to pair with Randall, are they going to be like, no thanks, right? I'd rather play in a more wide open place. Yeah. I don't know. And then even if we did bring them, do you end up in a situation like we had where we had Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, and Chandler, uh, it, like where the talent didn't add up because, you know, you have guys that don't necessarily, um, that can raise your floor, but don't necessarily fit together with other stars as well as you might like. Um, mm. And this is not, again, the Carmelo Anthony criticism, um, but some players are just very unique in that situation where they are good at that thing. They're good at making a bad team's offense respectable but it doesn't help you. And then, so if you talk about the things that are making the Knicks good, the reasons for optimism, mm -hmm. for some fans, that is what Jesus Randall did. But for a lot of fans, that's like, when have we had this much young talent that we could bank on, right? Um, this is, you know, Porzingis seemed like the guy, um, but this is the most confident I've been that someone is going to break the word curse in a long time. Maybe RJ Barrett isn't as good as a lot of people had hoped Maybe he's not even as good as you would hope from the third pick, which Lord knows is outsized expectations. Weirdly, the third pick just often is a really yeah. good pick. Obviously, Jordan, but even Luka Doncic, right? The, you know, you have picks like that. Embiid was third pick uh, in a draft where Wiggins went number one. So you have things like that. Um, but even if even if it's not RJ, I mean, you're going to tell me, like, whether it's RJ, Quickly, or McBride, or Grimes, or Jokubaitis, or I didn't even mention Obi, right? Yep. Um, that is the most young talent, and maybe this is selective memory. If someone wants to call me out and say, "Well, you know, um, you know," I haven't. I don't think the Knicks have had really this amount of young talent. Yeah, I would go back to Gallinari, Wilson, Chandler, um, Landry Fields. That's mm -hmm. um, that's both speaks to how poorly the Knicks have drafted, but also speaks to how so. That is part of the optimism that you're feeling. And the question is, if we do want to build or if we or if we want to keep to your point to keep to keep walking and not fall down, right? At least keep walking, even if we can't run. Are we better off doing that with those young guys, increasing their role and then finding someone who fits better with them um, and, and fits better in a team concept? Um, and to that point, you know, as bad as Ben Simmons has been. Um, you know, he, he has, um, he has not had a true shooting percentage below 58. That's without a jump shot, right? Yeah. Um, he's, he has, you know, he's put up eight assists every year. He's a very good rebounder. He's an all NBA defender. Um, mm -hmm. that at multiple, at basically tips, every position, you know, right, he, he yeah. doesn't just defend his guy. He can defend anybody. Yeah, and, and now with Tibbs, you, you do get worried, like, well, if Tibbs has to go with two bigs all the time, 
are we going to you know have some issues that maybe but that is someone that is an easier it's easier to envision building a team around someone like that than someone like Randall because if you look at Randall's archetype right the ball dominant post up heavy player um who isn't an, a great passer um you either need to, you either need to be a great passer or you need to be hyper efficient uh, and play good defense, right? The guys who have really been stars with that mo- model, um, you know, even a guy like Kobe Bryant, right? Um, he, he, for that time period, he was efficient, right? <laughs> People talk about the fact that he took too many. What? For that, for that time, time I mean, he, look, that time he was. Well, I mean, look, like this is a bit of a tangent, but for all the anti-analytics people. This was a guy who was consistently putting up 55, 50, like true shooting percentage makes Kobe look a lot better than just the EFG, right? Yes, because he got to the line a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, so like from that standpoint, analytics say that, yeah, Kobe is underrated in terms of his efficiency and he was a better passer than Julius Randle. Now, this is not to compare Julius Randle to Kobe Bryant, but if you look at the guys who make that style of play work, right? Slow the ball down, a lot of ISO, not an elite passer, although Kobe was a pretty good one. Um, who's made that work and won a championship? Kawhi Leonard. Again, more efficient than Randall and elite defender, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Luke is a, a great passer, right? Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Boston and Jason Tatum, but he brings that defense um, and is a, is a, is a more gifted uh, shooter than, than Randall. So the thing is this, right? If, you, if a guy like that isn't that level, can you really fit him next to someone else? Uh, it's tougher. It, like, if you don't hit that threshold, that's what we saw with... And Melo was... Melo is like he gets compared to Randall a lot, but he is like the best possible version of that player. I would argue that for all the, the passing that Melo is accused of, and he never averaged six assists the way Randall did, but he was a little more intuitive as a passer. Like when he was motivated, he used to make quick decisions a lot more, and he was just he, he had more skills as a scorer. Um, if mm-hmm. that's and still, it's tough to build a championship team with that person at the center, and then it can be also tough to pair them with someone else. From that standpoint, when you look at that archetype, you're like, I don't know if that is necessarily conducive to building the team around him or to like even pair someone to get someone with him, unless unless he buys into a role, a more of a Draymond type role on offense, right? Where he is an ancillary guy, but he's moving without the ball a lot. There's fewer post-ups and ISOs. There's a lot more quick decisions. I, I do think his shooting can be a lot better than it was this year. Maybe he'll never shoot like last year. But I think he's capable of shooting 37, 38% from three. Um, but if he's doing more of that, and then instead of using his passing skill to pass out of double teams, doing more of the stuff that we see Obi doing, that can work next to a guy. Um, but I think they need to start making that transition. And if that's not a transition he's willing to make, that's where the idea... Like, so to me, it's more about that, about um, you know, in terms of building the identity and growing towards that team that you want to be, does the the best version of a Knicks team that we want to be at some point look like this version of Julius Randle? Um, and is is a version of Julius Randle capable of being part of that team? Your answer to that question, I think, answers whether we look to trade him at some point. Let me continue along kind of the, the line of what you said and, and the line I've been hearing a lot of people talk about. Or something that's been evident this year is that the bench has been, you know, just vastly more efficient and frankly a lot more fun to watch than watching, you know, Randall. 2022 Randall has not been as fun, obviously, as 2021 Randall. And I'm not compa- I'm not linking these two things because they have 
anything in common other than the conversation before reminds me of this now. Um, so I want to get your thought on this. In 99 and especially 2000, 2000 there was a lot of pretty vocal grumbling among the Knicks. Um, Spreewell said it openly in an interview once, the trust Spreewell, that there was this sudden desire to get away from Patrick Ewing because Patrick Ewing was old and he was holding the team back. And when people saw Spreewell and Marcus Camby and, and Ward and Childs leading them on the break, there was this push to like, we want to run, like we want to get out. And the Knicks, they traded Ewing. It was a stupid trade, but it definitely changed their direction stylistically. Um, they never really turned into that team, partly because um, Spreewell had a ignominious exit from New York. Uh, Allen Houston broke down very quickly. Um, they gambled on the the Marcus Camby trade, so they went in a different direction. But that's part of what I'm wondering about here. So Julius Randle, um, not on the same wavelength as I think the most exciting Nick lineups of the year, which have been the bench lineups that have gotten out and run and pushed. Obviously, you have to be able to get easy baskets, and obviously, you have to be able to function like in the half court. Do you have any sense as to whether the Knicks are better off staying with Randall and hoping to add, like you mentioned, the Draymond role? If magically the Knicks could add Steph Curry somehow this offseason, um, then I could see Randall becoming more the type of player you talked about, which is like he'll defer clearly. Um, he won't need the ball as much in his hands. He'll get better looks. He'll probably become more efficient. He'll probably have a, a lesser offensive burden, which might open up his defense. Like he might become closer to that model that you were talking about. Then there's the temptation to like, we're young. We have talent. Like People like to run. People like to watch teams run. And the NBA is certainly more, I think, I think offensive explosiveness matters more now than it did 20 years ago. Um, do you have a sense of stylistically, do you think the Knicks with the right personnel can win kind of the way that they're built right now, which is a starting unit that's, that's mostly on the slower side. Um, would you rather see the team either because you want, you think it's the best way to win a title or just as an entertainment value? Like, would you rather see a Ben Simmons type guy leading this team you know, up and down the court, 120 a game, just like mayhem. Or, or, or I'm really talking a lot. Let me try to condense it to this one simple question. Are you more interested at this point in the Knicks building a team that you think can win a title or a team that you will enjoy watching every night, regardless of whether or not they win? Um, that's a good question. Um, I apologize right now, for I think, taking like nine minutes to get through that. I'm very sorry. No, no, no. I, I've been talking a lot more than you. Um, I mean, I think right now only a one of those is an option. Um, because the fact of the matter is that Steph Curry isn't walking through that door. Forget Steph Curry. We're not trading like people. There are still people holding out hope that, oh, Donovan Mitchell's dad worked for the Mets, right? And he grew up, um, <laughs> went to, that is the most Mets, that's the most Knicks fan statement ever. I mean, there's lots. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm just gonna. I have been on this thing where, well, Rick Brunson is good friends with Leon Rose, and Leon Rose used to be Jalen Brunson's agent. So yeah, uh, yeah, until I found out today that a lot of people think Rokas Yokobitis is going to be 
Jalen Brunson, but better. So now I'm I'm done with Jalen Brunson. <laughs> you have me so excited about Yokobitis. Like already in my head, this is like Linsanity coming to New York next year. You know, like, I'm was, so you know excited. The, you know, it was the first person to mention Rokas to me. Um, we did a mock draft for the Strickland before the Obi draft, um, or the quickly draft. If that's your uh, that's your mo, and Stingy uh, Stingy D I ate though on Twitter uh, took Rokas like late fifties, and I was like, who is that? And he's like, nah, this kid can play. And then uh, you know, as fate would have it, he's he's with the Knicks now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the Knicks are landing. That's the stars that are available are the flawed stars, right? Um, so who are the stars that have moved? And, you know, the Bulls traded for DeMar DeRozan. And this is an example, right, where um, the, the Bulls had a flawed star of their own, somebody who, as recently as like a year or two ago, people were like, would you trade a first for Zach Levine? And, mm-hmm. well, now that looks silly in retrospect, but yep. Zach Levine is an example of that star who is easier to fit next to other stars, right? Um, he, he is, what his game is, is more maybe... What his weaknesses are, are easy to easier to hide given his position. You know, it's tougher to hide a, a player who's not a rim protector that plays the four. Mm-hmm. Um, and if their shooting isn't great, with Randall, it's just he's a very unique player, and it can be. And so is Draymond, for that matter, right? There are other places where he wouldn't look as good, but he's you know he has been in an optimized situation. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I would rather at this point, I don't think that's a choice. I don't think that's really a choice to to win a championship. I think you want the team that's fun to watch. But I will say, in terms of long term, being a more fun team to watch will not coincidentally also be what gets us to gets us to keep making progress, even if we're just walking, or even if we're standing still but not moving backwards. I think playing it doesn't even have to be more up tempo, but there does have to be ball movement. There does have to be multiple ways to stress a defense, and there has to be attention at detail. You have to set screens the right way. Um, you have to be putting defenders in binds. It can't just be <coughs> a lack of cohesion. Um, now that, that's what it comes down to for me. Um, so it's when I say stylistically, it's not just you know Derek. It's not just getting up and down the floor. And what Simmons gets you, Simmons is also a little bit in that boat where that's what a lot of people say about him. He needs to play the Draymond role, right? And is he willing? He has been even less willing to than than Randall, yeah. right? Because I think. If he was, I think they probably would have figured it out in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, but a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who may be right now not producing as much as Julius, but it's easier to envision a guy like De'Aaron Fox next to other players, not just because he's faster, but because he tends to, because of his skill set, play in offenses where more people are getting involved, those kinds of things, right? Is he a perfect player? No. But the reality is, if the Knicks want to make moves anytime soon, it's going to be for a flawed star. And we don't know that Julius can fit in with one. And even the Draymond role, he played that in New Orleans, but he played a lot of five, right? So can he do that from the four position where he will have to improve his jump shooting, where he will have to make quick decisions on the move, um, where he will not have the ability to take possessions off without moving without the ball, right? Uh, We need to see that. Um, And I think that would be, you know, as long as Randall's on the team, trying to get him to do that more with perhaps consequences being there, if he's unwilling to do that um, would be more conducive than to just keep doing this. I think last year asking him to take that load when the young guys weren't ready was fine. But now that we have some other talented perimeter players, um, I think trying to get him to do that more and seeing what we have and seeing if that works, um, 
that's what I would like to see. And I think that would be more enjoyable to watch. And it's not winning us a championship this year, but it makes it easier to envision creating our team that one day hopefully we'll get there. Inshallah. So, so speaking of creating that team, um, let's say you're Leon Rose and you have a trade package, let's say for De'Aaron Fox, and Randall is going the other way in the trade. And then suddenly, is it still Elton Brand? I can't remember who's in charge now in Philadelphia. Um, suddenly the, the 76ers call you. No, no, it's Daryl Morey. Dar- sorry, D- Daryl Morey. Suddenly Daryl Morey calls you. And he will make the same deal that you're going to make for Fox involving Randall for Ben Simmons. Who are you making the deal for, Fox or Simmons, and why? I think Simmons is a better player right now. This, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's head says Simmons, heart says Fox. Yeah. Um, are that, is I, that because I, of your – are those doubts about Simmons – character or ceiling or is that more fondness for what just what you think of fox exclusively it's both so with simmons um i i try not to get too much into judging players attitudes um just because i'm not that just seems unfair to judge players i mean unless you know they committed crimes and admitted admitted to that kind of shit or like do dirty stuff on the court i don't want to attack ben simmons character i don't know the guy um, but I, 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 I do have my worries about how he would fit in New York. I think it is alarming that he doesn't take jump shots still after four years, period. Um, De'Aaron Fox is not a good shooter, but he's willing to take threes at volume. And I think that if he was able to take, if, if he wasn't, if he was able to rein in his shot selection, I think he could be a decent shooter. So I think there's more offensive upside there. Um, he is a bad defender and Ben Simmons is a much better one. So that would be, I think, where the head thing comes in, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the worst, you get a guy who can who can create offense and is going to help your defense. Mm-hmm. But I think long-term, I think De'Aaron Fox has the higher ceiling. So he's who I would probably um, go for. But there's, pl- there's a lot of people still who would say, I'm not trading Randall for either of them. And I get that as well. But if we're going to go that way, I would like to see Randall start to be deployed more differently. Um, for both because I think we have the guards to to allow him to do that, but also because if it's not if also because we have another player at the four who thrives in that role, and why shouldn't we have some more continuity, right? And Obi Toppin. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's that's my answer on that. What about you? I'm gonna give you one more bizarre fantasy question, which is no, sorry, but, but I gotta ask you, who would you take? Oh, between Fox and Simmons. Who would you take between Fox and Simmons? Yeah. Uh, I would take Simmons, um, assuming Randall's going out in either deal. I'm not as high on Fox as a lot of people seem to be. Um, I think in part because while the Knicks do not have anyone of that caliber on their roster, I think that they have their best young, their best total, their most talented group of guards in a while, and and a lot of them are young. So I feel like the guard position is less of the, you know, like war crime that it's been, you know, the last whatever ten years. Also, I'm I'm more concerned. I think that Fox would represent would be a, a variation on the same theme of Randall, which is and and I know I'm traumatized from just years of watching the Knicks with this, but like the idea of the Knicks 
resting their fortunes on a guard who can't really shoot from outside. Like I, I lived through the nineties. It was a different equation, but like, I can't do that again. Um, now you're right that like Fox's volume and certainly he's still young, um, quite young and like could easily, if he becomes a league average shooter from the perimeter, like that's a, that's a win. That's a dynamic, um, offensive factor, but I can't, uh, that concerns me about him. And I also am concerned about investing in, I, I like smarter players more than athletic players because I think they can adapt better to age and injury. If De'Aaron Fox were to suffer any kind of a, a serious, any kind of injury that, that diminishes his quickness by 10 or 15%, he's a completely different player now. Whereas if Ben Simmons suffers, whatever, aging, whatever, I, I still feel like he's so smart. Um, it would hurt him, you know, in some ways as an individual defender, but I think he's, he's brilliant as a, a team defender also. I like a lot the idea of, of, Simmons running with these Knicks. Um, if you had Simmons and Toppin and like quickly, that would be insane. I don't know if that would work in the, in the trade, but well, I, I, I don't know if um, Tibbs would play them together. I think that would be the bigger concern. True. I, I think I'm assuming in a Ben Simmons future, Tom Thibodeau is not the coach. Um, I don't, I don't He's see that as like, well. I don't see, I don't, you can always be surprised, but I don't get like, Pat Riley and Magic Johnson from Tom Thibodeau and Ben Simmons. And I mean that I think more as a positive towards Thibodeau. I don't think Thibodeau would, would put up with certain things that Simmons has maybe gotten away with in Philadelphia in more of a unique situation. I, I share your concern about when you're this far in and you won't even try a jump shot, you know, that's a huge, I mean, that's more of a concern than the Aaron Fox's jumper. Um, Darren Fox is basically Steph Curry compared to Ben Simmons. Like, that's fine. And I'm also a little bit concerned so about is Alfred um, Payton for that matter, right? That's like, true. At least that's Alfred true. Shoot them, right? So. I think my answer is I I don't really want to build around either one of them. Um, yeah. I like Simmons more as a as a piece that you add maybe to finish what you're doing. So, in a hypothetical universe where the Knicks in a couple years have John Morant and um, you know, Evan Mobley, Michael Bridges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you want to add Ben Simmons? Sure. Like then I'll take him. But I wouldn't build around either one of them. And I'm not sure. I'm not done with Randall yet. Like I'm not sure that Randall will ever hit last year. But I also am not sure that I think he's gonna. Like I think you can allow for Randall to be dealing with maybe more. I was thinking of this yesterday. Like I think we discount sometimes in our view of, of players, the reality of their learned experience as professionals. Like I was talking to my daughter earlier tonight about the fact that every single player in the NBA, mostly through college is the best player on the floor in pretty much in every game they play in or, or right up there. And then you get to this place where now you might be second best, which can be a major adjustment for some people. I think Andrew Wiggins probably struggled for years having to acclimate to you're not what you were. Some of them become sixth men. Some of them become fringe starters. Some of them become end of the bench guys. There's a there's a great uh, YouTube clip of Brian Scalabrini just after he's retired, destroying some prospect at the gym, like just embarrassing him. And so I think with Julius Randle, it's important to remember in his Nick experience, like 
last year was the only season in Julius Randle's career that he had some of the roles that he did. It's the only year he was ever like the lead option on a team. He never was with the Lakers. He was number three with the Pelicans. Even his first year with the Knicks, Randall and Marcus Morris were basically co-leads until Morris got traded. Randall was never the number one option on a team. Randall was never on a good team. Like, I don't think Randall ever made the playoffs in his career until last season with the Knicks. Randall was asked to be, for the first time in his career, the primary scorer, the primary rebounder, and the primary creator for other people, while also shooting like a pretty good volume from three and if you don't mind, also help us with defense. And then in that weird season, the season ends. Um, he's in a new, a new team this year with begins with two new starters who play completely differently than the people that they replaced. Like I'm not, I'm not at all saying that Julius Randall has not disappointed this season because he has, but what I am saying is that it's possible. Some of that struggle is due to a player who has really adjusted, like, you know, from the Lakers, there was an adjustment to the Pelicans. There's been multiple adjustments with the Knicks. Maybe some of Julius Randle's struggle is contextual and not personal or internal. And in that case, that's why I'm still willing to think I'm not writing Julius Randle off as the worst of what we've seen this year because I think there's a lot going on on a practical human level, like, the man had a baby basically right as the season started. I don't know what it's done to his sleep. Like, you don't know what someone's sleep cycle is like. You, like, you don't know anything. So I believe Randall will bounce back. I don't think that we have seen the best of Julius Randall this season. And for that reason, I'm still pretty, like, I'm still riding, like, with Randall and feeling okay about it. Um, That's where I stand with that. So... I'm not sure that I think De'Aaron Fox represents an individual upgrade. I would say, to your point from before, De'Aaron Fox is probably infinitely easier to pair with another star whose games will play off of each other than Randall's. Because I think it would be an interesting thought experience for next time, sorry, thought experiment for next time to think about, like, is there an NBA player in the next year or two that you think there's any chance could become available who would pair well with Randall where they would actually benefit each other. And if not, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys, if he changes to more of a role man, um, you know, uh, short role for who can also stretch the floor and posts up less, um, you know, so I think he can fit well with De'Aaron Fox. If that's the case, um, but I, I think you need to see that, right? Do you think there's a reflection in his... So, I thought a lot of people were kind of surprised that Randall signed last offseason, uh, re-signed as quickly as he did for the money he did, when he could have held out another year and gone like for much... And obviously there's a gamble there, but maybe I was alone in that. I was surprised that he signed for what seemed like a, a, a good deal for the team also um, on that contract. Do you think that is in any way indicative of a guy who knows like he's not Ben Simmons. He's not getting the max deal and wanting to be treated like a superstar, even if he has a, an enormous flaw, he kind of took the deal of like a second guy, not a first guy. 
Um, do you think it's possible that that's with an eye toward? I, I know I'm asking you to like speculate on Julius Randall's fucking headspace, but um, that's what I'm doing. Do you think Randall, intentionally or not, at least, with, do you think the contract is an asset in trying to eventually find that number one who pairs with him? I guess let me let me. Sorry, this will be my last like. My last question of the night, because my brain is failing. Do you think Randall's contract might be more of an asset in finding that co-star than his game might be a detriment or a challenge to finding that co-star? Or maybe that's a dumber question. Just tell me whatever you want to about Julius Randall and his contract going forward with how this season is playing out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad contract, um, but I think, you know... Um his contract is one of you. That's the contract to give to one of the three best players on your team. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to be, you're probably at some point going to pair him with, um, two of those guys. Right. So the question is who are two of those guys? And this is why last year, I remember we did a pod. I think it was, I did one with Schwinney. That's pod Strickland. And we were talking about, you know, you know, if the Knicks could somehow bring together Lillard and Beal next to Randall, does that win you a championship? No. And then you're probably going to have to decimate all of the other guys, the young guys. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I was like, think about this. Those are two really good players and tough to add. So if Randall, if with him, you're still not at a championship level, you know, that says something about Julius Randall too. Um, now, I think a lot of people would probably have agreed that um, you know, um, a lot of people would have agreed that if you replace Beal with like Kawhi Leonard, that can work. But that's really hitting a home run. Um, so does Julius Randle's contract invalidate that? No, um, but it does limit the number of players who you can pair with him to that, and it puts pressure on you to get those players. Where if you have, you know, if you don't have anyone making that range. Um, you know, you can kind of see what you have with the young guys and, and tank, right? And then, you know, you find that that player. Um, but I, I don't, like, Julius Randle's contract, to be frank, like, isn't something I give a ton of thought to. Um, so, you know, because I don't think it's a bad contract, I don't think it's tough to trade, and I don't think it makes it difficult to play him next to a star. Um, it's just, again, putting together two or three max players Um is always a challenge. I think the hope might have been that if RJ could take a step this year where you could see him as the second best guy or the third best guy and you just need yeah. one piece, you yeah. haven't paid him yet, so that makes it easier to get another max guy. Uh, and then you you unload the mother role. But RJ hasn't quite taken that step. Um, so, it, yeah, the Knicks, I mean, it becomes a problem where the Knicks end up having to pay RJ $25 million after next year. Um, and then they're in cap trouble or they have to deplete the roster. Um, and then, you know, and then, then you can say, well, we, we can pair a bunch of, you know, we can trade IQ and OB for someone like Dame, but Dame, RJ and Julius, now you've really are capped out and that probably doesn't get you the championship. Um, but specific to Randall's contract, I don't think it's, it's a bad contract, right? It, it, it's fine. Last question for you. With the loss tonight, the Knicks fall to 14 and 18. They're 12th in the East. 
They're a game and a half out of the last playing spot. We are 10 games, no, sorry, nine games away from the midway point. Would you rather see the Knicks get into the play-in tournament and win their way into the playoffs, or would you rather see them miss knowing that you got a bunch of super talented young guys and now you're going to get a lottery pick somewhere and come back next year and, and roll with that group? Yeah, um, I think it's... Um... It is interesting. Um, it is interesting because I think it's been a, a it's been a no no right to be in that middle space um, mm-hmm. where you're neither competitive enough to win the championship or contend or be one move away, nor are you tanking for a great draft pick. But the NBA flattened the lottery odds, um, and uh, and teams adapted to that knowledge, right? So last year, for example, a lot of teams like the Raptors, for example, who had been competitive for a long time, decided to, um, you know, I wouldn't say tank, but there was less of an emphasis on just being competitive for being com- for the sake of co- being competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Knicks were able, to, and then that, you know, like whether it's business, whether it's you know investments, that's where you have these arbitrage opportunities. And the Knicks took advantage of the fact that no one was really going for that four seed. Everyone wanted to avoid it. Um and that worked. Now what you're seeing is that there are a lot of teams that are in that mix. And I think the NBA making the play in a possibility has affected this. And now you actually have fewer teams that are in the contention with the, those top five or six picks. Um, now, with the lottery odds, does it make sense to go for that? I don't know. Um, this isn't the most deep draft, but there are a couple of talented guys. Um if you told me the Knicks could finish with a top six seed and a guaranteed playoff spot, I would take that. If you're talking about a play-in game, that's where it gets more dicey for me. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm like, probably not going to win a series, right? So if if our max ability is just to do what we did last year, not really rise up a level, not really improve from a, a narrative perspective, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, especially given that you know it looks like Mitchell Robinson is too inconsistent to really to extend at, at big money RJ still hasn't taken that leap um IQ and OB are nice pieces but we don't know what they are long term yet yeah I, I mean I do think they need they need a star and and you'd want to be able to take that bet in the draft okay how about you? Is, I would oh <sighs> I really have no interest in a season that ends in the play-in tournament, like either way. Like I have no interest in that. Um, And I could see it happening because I think the East is deeper this year. Um, I would, I still rather make, I would rather make the, I would, sorry, it's almost midnight here on the East coast and I'm definitely feeling it. Um, I would rather make the playoffs and lose in five games like they did last year, then be be high in the lottery. Now, I was going to ask you, if you could get, you know, I don't know, lose in seven hard-fought games in the first round to like a Brooklyn or Milwaukee, or land a top four pick in the draft, what would you pick then? A top four pick in the draft or lose to... 
this is cheating a little bit because there is one guy in the draft who I really want in the Knicks. That's Jaden Ivey at Purdue. Um, for those who haven't watched him, forget about the Knicks. He's just an extremely fun player to watch. Um, I would probably say take that fourth pick, um, but I'm not married to that. And that's another head versus heart thing. Um, yeah. I think what that would mean if they were to be the kind of team that could push Milwaukee or, or Brooklyn to seven games, and they've been competitive with both of those teams mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably have meant that Randall figured out a better role or one of the young guys took a leap. Um, so having knowing that, yeah, I'll say I'd rather take the seven-game loss, um, like a real seven-game loss, no injuries or anything, Like, but the Knicks show that they are. They're not last year's Knicks that just you know mm-hmm. really weren't competitive with Atlanta. So I'll say I'd take that, but a top-four pick to me matter, means a lot because I think the guy is going to know number four um, is a guy I like a hell of a lot, and I think he would be awesome on the Knicks, and he's a new star. What can you tell us real quick about Mr. Ivy? Um, well, he's a guy who, um, frankly, it's a little surprising that no team gave him a promise because he flashed a lot of talent. He was a highly regarded recruit last year, but you know, was skinny, needed a little time. But he's six four, six ten wingspan. You know, athleticism that can remind you of a guy like John Morant. Blazing speed, court to court, nice little handle package. Uh, he's shooting 44% from three. Um, can score at three levels. Really nice pull-up game, although shooting is still something he's he's working on. Um, he's not the defender he should be, frankly, given his tools and the fact that he plays for Matt Painter. Um, but it's the, it's the he looks like a future star, and he's a pretty good passer. He's not a point guard, but he is the kind of guy who, like, like if you're running your offense through him, he's going to make the right reads. He's not a ball stopper. Uh, he reminds me a lot of a guy like uh, Zach Levine. Um, he's not as big as Anthony Edwards, but stylistically there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the pull-up game and the athleticism. Um, so those are the, th- that's the kind of player he is. And, um, and I, I think one day he has the ability to be a great defender too. So, uh, and he just plays with an edge and a chip on his shoulder. Even last year, there were games where he'd go three for 14, but you could still see him playing hard. Um, I think he would be he'd be a, a showstopper at the garden and he's the kind of guy that um that when you know that, that has GM smiling and and all of that. So So we're gonna hope that the Pelicans draft him this season so they can fuck up so badly the next four or five years that he wants out of town and join Zion in New York as the Knicks hoist the twenty twenty eight NBA championship. Heard it here first. Shout out, Believe Knicks Pod, December 23rd, 2021, 11.52 p.m. We have just predicted your 2027-28 Knicks championship. Thank you for being with us this episode. Stacy. thank you for putting up with my increasingly rambling ass there by the end. Um, That's right. I forget. It's it's near midnight for you. I'm st- it's still uh, eight, it's 8.52 for me, so. Still, yeah. the night is young. <laughs> Stacey's night is young, and my night is quickly coming to an end. But um, have a good time out there, man. Enjoy New Year's. And uh, hopefully next game is the Christmas game against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that one uh, next week. So take care, everybody. Take care, Stacy. See everybody. Peace. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.